This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Just say it's reconnecting. Shalom and wake up. Welcome to. Shalom and wake up to Asia Torah. It's early in the East Coast right now. West Coast is five in the morning. So, um, welcome to uh, Asia Torah's Essentials Program here in Practical Spirituality. We are going to begin our um, class with a question from Jesse. So, Jesse, you're on. Right? Um, so, my question has to do with like with the texts that we read when we're praying, um, why is it that when you're praying, you read the exact same prayers over and over again every single day and out of the same book, and we're just praising God and praising God and praising God, and it sounds like he's this huge, you know, egotistical maniac dude that told us to just sit there and praise him in the exact same words every day because he needs to hear it to feel good about himself. Why can't we, if we, if we wanted to, um, and I've heard I've heard an answer to this um, that if you wanted to create your own sidur, you couldn't do it because you wouldn't be able to think of something as complete as what we already have. Fine, but what if in, for every individual day and every individual prayer that we were trying to have and complete and say, we just thought of our own wording to praise God or ask Him for something or do something? Why can't we do things in our own words? Why do we have to say the same thing over and over? <laughs> okay, that was a great question. Um, so uh, thank you, Jesse. They, so a couple things to know. Um, our our rabbis have always taught us that uh, that tefillah below kavana kiguf below neshama. Prayer without without a without intention, meaning without being like totally engaged with it, is like a body without a soul. Now that's a nice way of saying something. What's a what's a not nice way of saying a body without a soul? corpse yeah. dead yeah. that's a nice way of our rabbis trying to like put it nicely that your prayer is dead if you're not you know if you're not engaged intellectually emotionally if you're not fully engaged there you that's dead prayer it's literally what the, what the sitter is dead help, yeah. yeah yeah the sitter is like uh I think this is probably why the Breslov community, who are, you know, the Hasidim mostly made of Bali Chuva, but plenty of people raised observant are in Breslov, who, um, who have a, their prescription is no prescription, but an hour a day you go away from all humanity. If you go in the Jerusalem forest, day or night, you'll find them out there. Sfat, they're everywhere. And you actually talk to God in your own language. And what's amazing is that when they open a prayer book the next morning, let's say, there's already a personal relationship. So now when they're getting, their personal prayer has been covered. Now they get to the formal stuff. There's much more engagement. So, so I, I don't do that prayer so much. I, I'm a, I, just on a personal note, not that anyone cares, but I'm, very, I'm a very extroverted person. Like I really get energy with people, like hanging out with people. So I'm not a good wrestler at all. Like if I went to the forest, I'd probably just I don't know what I'd do. I'd hug the trees or something. I would be I'd be like completely at a loss. Completely at a loss. Like if I'm going to the forest, it's either on a mountain bike or with a, or with a bunch of beer and bonfire or you know or, or it's going to be uh, I'll be doing yoga under a you know in the shade of some tree. The I've nothing talks in here. I've I've a, my brain only works in, with human beings around me. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like your brain just turns on when other people are there. And when you're not with people, it just kind of, just mine just goes, Ew. and when I'm with people, Ew. 
and uh, th- and I knew I would have to marry someone who's into the conversation. We're the nation of the conversation, but different people have a level of conversation they like to have. So we're the nation of the conversation. Like that's what we love. And and have you guys ever been to Shabbos tables that went on forever because the conversation was so amazing and it just kept going and going and going and going and going? It's because we're the nation of the conversation. And uh, I had to learn the hard way because I was raised amongst Gentiles. And I had a really rough time finding anyone who wanted to have the conversation on the level I wanted to have it. And uh, I remember one night in Santa Barbara, I went to UCSB, Santa, University of California, Santa Barbara, where you can study buzz. I went to UCSB and I, I went down to the study hall in our dorm to study all night for an exam, except there were two people in the dorm. In that room, we started schmoozing. Well, we saw the sunrise schmoozing that night, the three of us, and I didn't get to do my, uh, I didn't get to even take the test. I, I didn't even go in. I, mean, I, I just told them I was, I don't know what I told them. Anyway, but I told my mother about this amazing conversation. She said, oh yeah, that's what we're all, that's what it's all about. Life is about those conversations. And what a nice thing for her to say to me, instead of like, you know, you should have like stopped talking to them or you should have gone somewhere else. She said, no, that's what life's all about. And I said, well, what about the exam? And she's like, not as important. Not as important as being into the conversation. So then all I wanted was the conversation. And I mean, she really set me up to search for it. And I searched and searched for it. And any time I could have it, I was so happy. Um, years later, I wind up in Asia Torah at Shabbos tables in this Jewish quarter square and in the Asia Torah campus. And everywhere I go, everyone's having the conversation. And that's when I discovered that we're the nation of the conversation. We are the ones who are constantly having the conversation. And look how far it's gotten us. Look where the Jews are today. I mean, we have literally bred for IQ. I mean, we, we have, the, you know, we have a, whole, a higher IQ than the standard population of Westerners by a, an entire deviation. I mean, 115 is unheard of in any population of the IQ, and yet the Jews carry a 115 IQ automatically just for being Jewish. Um, and why we breed for that, so it's a whole discussion how that happened. But... But we're the nation of the conversation, and when you have the conversation, cool stuff happens, because we're not always going to agree, are we? And so us not agreeing is going to mean a big learning process. We don't stop with this conversation. Jews just love the conversation. And we're not going to agree a lot. A lot. And that's great, because if I don't agree with you, I'm about to start learning something. And you're going to be starting to learn something. And that's going to be a process that when you do that for thousands of years, because we're from that nation, and we discussed this yesterday, is we're from the tribe of Shem, and we're kind of the main part of the tribe of Shem, except for this little time capsule of India. And we are, we are the... Na- Shem means... Noah had a son named Shem, and Shem means meaning. What does it mean to name something? You're giving it meaning. Names to concepts, names to feelings, names to objects it's all meaning and we are we are those people we're into that kind of meaning and this all coming off you saying this well your prayer book's gotten meaningless rabbi you know like our prayer book's lost its meaning and we're going to get to i'm going to get back to that I, I literally i had to walk out i was sitting there and they were reading random hebrew stuff and they were like just read it and i was like i can't just read it and not even know what i'm even saying and just sit there and you guys are you know shaking back and forth over this random <laughs> thing that you don't even and i'm like Dude, like, 
you're not even talking to God anymore. You're just reciting a poem at this point. And how do you feel about the conversations at Shabbos tables that are deep and special? See, and that's where I've, like, see, the thing is, I was raised in an environment where my parents hate Judaism. Um, well, my mother does, at least. My dad, not so much. But, um, and, you know, I love... Is she, is she like, a feminist or something? No, she's a Soviet Jew. So, ah. so that I mean, they're both Soviet Jews. She doesn't want to get back at Soviet Jewry. Um, I mean, not Soviet Jewry, so well, at uh, she, Stalinism she, or atheism. She, there's nothing she hates more in her life than the fact that I'm here right now. Easy, um, which is unfortunate. That's but, so sad. But so anyway, um, so my mom hates Sorry. Judaism. Never allowed me to learn about it. I had to beg for years to study for bar mitzvah, um, and I, they finally allowed me to. I don't even know why I wanted to do it. I just wanted to. You know, thank God I did. But. Um, Everything since I didn't learn anything growing up, everything that I've ever learned about Judaism came from conversations like that. And you know, mm-hmm. um, Rabbi Bars, like I would sit with him for hours and just talk about stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, by the way, he highly recommended you, which is so um, essentially. Um, I mean, long story short, like I've never learned anything from reading random Hebrew words of which their meaning I don't even know. Never once. <laughs> you mentioned the fact that you don't know what the words mean. Right, right. That's, and, that's and even if I, and even when point. I do, even when I do, when I read meaning the English, the English, or you know, the it gets worse because then it's just praise, praise, and praise, then it's praise, just praise. like, you know, thank you for this, thank you for this. God is great. God is great. And right. then I haven't learned anything. And by the end of it, I just said God is great maybe 115 times, <laughs> which is Allah Akbar in right, Aramaic. In Arabic. <laughs> yeah, God is great is Allah Akbar or Allah. Wow, amazing. Um, you know, I also, like, when I when I got here, I didn't even know Hebrew at all. I mean, I, I didn't, I just didn't know it. I don't know what, it, maybe it was the amount of grass I smoked between thir- my bar mitzvah and getting here at t- 23, you know, which was like 10 years of heavy partying. So the uh, it could be that I just missed, missed, my Hebrew disappeared, but I didn't learn that much to begin with. It was just to survive the bar mitzvah. So, so the... Um, Yet you, you knew yours by heart. No, no, I, no. I said I think at my brother's so at the, the meal afterwards, they get pork there. There was pork at your brother's. Sure. Yeah, my parents. Uh, Mine had a lot more bar than mitzvah. I'll tell you that. Yeah, there you go. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my friend wants to make a bar call with a shirt that says "All Bar and Mitzvah." All Bar and Mitzvah. There you go. Uh, but yeah, no. So it, 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 it wasn't. It was barely a bar mitzvah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're making... No, but you fought for that bar mitzvah. I think that bar mitzvah is very holy. In fact, I don't want to patronize you at all, but you're an inspiration. So I'm just clapping. That's it. <laughs> you're really inspiring. And, and you're, you fought for something that, I don't, that a lot of people in here never fought for. And, well, and that's very meaningful. For even us. if I end up hating it, I just want to get to a conclusion where I'm like, I've learned the material and I've consciously decided to hate so it. So let's nail this thing. Let's nail this. So I was saying that when I got here, I was stuck with the English. I was relegated to English. I had no choice. So I was reading the English, and I was also like, kill me. You know, like, I don't want to say this one more time. Because the different words of praise, they try to f- change it up a bit. Laud, you know, extol. Like, it's, like, it's like, just shoot me. You know, like, I, I can't use these languages, and I feel like I'm Christian or something. And 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 then again, I had the same thought about God, like some egomaniac that I'm somehow supposed to do this for. However, once I transferred that to Hebrew and developed my Hebrew, literally, painstakingly, like one word at a time, but developing the Hebrew, suddenly all those words, all the words of praise, and boy, are there a lot of them. Sometimes we put them all in a long row. 
You know, like, uh, I don't know if we have a prayer book here with English. Yeah, can you hand me the red uh, with the olive on it? Um, yes, please. You know, like, for example, at the, uh, when you get to the end of, uh, it's in Nishmas, but it's also in Hallel. Um, when you get to the last bracha there at the end of Hallel, we say, uh, we say, let's see, there's Havdala. Where is Hallel on these things? Rosh Chodesh. Yeah, so listen to this. Like, how would you like to say this in English? I mean, this is going to sound terrible. Um, All your works shall praise you. This is going to sound really bad. And your devout ones, the righteous, who do your will, and your entire people, the house of Israel, with glad song will thank, bless, praise, glorify, exalt, extol, sanctify, and proclaim. Proclaim. Those weren't enough. Now we're going to start proclamations. And proclaim the sovereignty of your name, which is a little weird. The sovereignty, like I would never have used that word. The sovereignty of your name, like God's name has sovereignty. For, you, for, for, for to you it is fitting to give thanks, and unto your name it is proper to sing praises. For from this world to the world to come, you are God. Blessed are you, Hashem, Baruch Hashem, the King who is lauded with praises. <laughs> I can see why you could just pass out after that, you know, for sure. But when you go to the Hebrew, so it brings up amazing stuff. Um, I mean, just amazing stuff. I'll give you some examples. So, um, first of all, uh, the word rena, here it said glad, you know, and that works. I mean, you could go with rena being glad. But, but rena just says that this is my greatest joy. Like, this is, this is my greatest joy. And then the words yodu, the first words yodu, what's yodu? It's like Yoda. Yeah, what's yodu? Yodu is, is to, it's actually the, our term Jew, Yehudi, is from the word yodu. It's uh, todah, means to give thanks. Okay, but what is giving thanks? What is it? So the answer is, thanksgiving, the definition is to recognize the source of that which you received. And so, like, for example, if you lent me your phone, what's your name? Esti. Esti. If Esti lent me your phone and I thanked Ahuva, so <laughs> Esti would be like, what was that? Why are you thanking Ahuva for my phone? And it would just be a weird thing. I'd never do that. But if I did that, it would be weird. Why? What's the source of the phone, Ahuva or Esti? Esti. So, so the word Yehudi or Hoda'a or Toda'a, in this case, it's yodu, it's plural. We will give thanks. So, or we give thanks. Is, is that we recognize the source of everything. The source of all reality. I'm a recognizer of the source of all reality. Well, then why does that bring me any joy? To be a recognizer of the source. That sounds like I'm normal. Why should you be so happy about being normal? It's, would you consider it is a lack of gratitude? Meaning it's a lack of recognition of the source of that which you got. Is that called normal? It's completely not normal. It's called teenagers. Okay? And that's not normal. You know, but I understand why teenagers have to suddenly turn their back on their source. I understand. Because how do you ever become an adult if you keep getting this unsolicited advice 
from this person who brought you into existence and is taking full responsibility to get you to your next, you know, part of life. And therefore, it's basically, they're, they're, it's like you're in diapers at 18 years old or 17 years old. It's like you, so every time your nose runs, there they are. So, of course, you got to, like, somehow turn your back on them in a little bit just to get to adulthood. Um, but it's the ultimate lack of gratitude and it's the ultimate lack of recognition of source. And Judaism does not allow for adolescence, meaning... Meaning, all of us have some teenagers who are absolute jerks, and uh, you know, and have turned their back. But, but we don't consider it kosher. And not to mention the fact that they're ignoring the ten, the the fifth of the ten commandments. You know, <laughs> nowhere does it say when you're a teenager you get to ignore your need to your obligation, your duty to to honor your even your mother. You know, and that gets tricky. Because how do I honor someone who's, who's telling me not to keep the Torah? And, and in fact, that's why the, the, the rabbis say, why does it say Shabbat? The fourth command of Shabbat and the fifth is to honor your parents. You know what the rabbis say? That if your parents tell you not to keep Shabbat, you keep Shabbat. Meaning Shabbat, then parents. Shabbat, then parents. Your parents say don't keep Shabbat. Well, that's why Shabbat is the fourth commandment and honoring parents is the fifth commandment. And we learn out from Shabbat that a parent who tries to get you to do anything against Torah, you go with Torah over that parent. Now, is that something you're honoring him or dissing him? I don't think it's either. Mm. It's, I feel like you just one outranks the other. It's not like... It's like if... Um, if no, but she doesn't want you doing this. She doesn't want you keeping Shabbat. Sure, but one is more important than the other. My mom is being temporarily unhappy. Is that called honoring her? No, but it's not dishonoring her. She said, don't do this, and you did it. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, it's questionable. So I'll tell you what else they say. Is, and it's not just Judaism. It's that there's something called tough love. You heard of tough love? Yeah, tough love. Is that, mom, if I didn't, and now this is going to bring us to like the next world, but think about it. You love your mom, right? She's your mom. If you believe that there's reward and punishment after in the afterlife, like there's actual consequence for our actions. Now, by the way, God would have to have a sick sense of humor for there not to be. Now, do we know what that is? So other religions, or did I just say other religions? God, please don't strike me for saying that. Religions, I don't call us a religion. Religions do give a lot of detail of what happens when you die. Where they got that, they probably made it up. Because you've got to die to know about it. So it's a little hard to speak with any authority of what happens after life. So how do we know there's consequence? Because otherwise God would just have a completely sick sense of humor. Why? Because he, he gives every single person on this earth a moral compass. Now interestingly, and something important to notice, that your moral compass needs to be trained. Meaning... Meaning, no matter where you go, there's going to be right and wrong. It's just that right and wrong can be totally arbitrary. For example, what the Nazis thought was right is what the Torah says is wrong. But they, didn't ra- they were not raised in Torah. They were raised in Germany. And so, and so, you get what I'm saying? Everyone has a moral compass. Hitler thought he was doing the humanity a favor because to his world, 
social Darwinism, meaning survival of the fittest, is the best way to go. It will help humanity. Whereas Judaism says, no, God's in charge of survival. And our, we're in charge of helping people survive. Meaning we like, we like helping handicapped. We like making sure every child, no matter how they're born, whatever their health condition, survives. And we feel that society will have actually more betterment by taking care of a Down syndrome population than just snuffing them out, as a social Darwinist would have. Because, because it brings out stuff in society to have to pay for them. And, to, and it, it brings out things in governments that have to afford that. And suddenly we have to earmark money for these people. And it brings things out in, in citizens and families that have to care now. Because caring comes up. But he hated that, and that's very Jewish. It's very Jewish because we learn from Torah about this sanctity of life just for life being a, a, life. Life in itself is sanctified. Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are, that is important. And so, therefore, we know there's consequence. We just don't know what it is. We don't know what it is, but there's no way God gave us this moral compass and the ability to have the conversation, which is the nation of the conversation, to be able to have the conversations that bring us to what we would call good and what we would call bad, and ultimately to come to good. Now, we did a lousy job, so I don't know if that's why we had to get the Torah. By the way, I'm not sure what God was thinking, because Torah only came 24, uh, close to 2,500 years after Adam. So what was going on for that two and a half millennia? And the answer is, we were supposed to have the conversation. Well, that conversation apparently lends itself away from God and away from the true good. So conversation isn't always great if it's not being... It, it needed... We needed Torah. At least our planet. Could be there's some other planet out there that figured it out. But our planet did not figure it out. And if you study the stories, you see story after story was a, was a losing battle. Adam and Eve blew it. The generation of the flood blew it. The generation of the Tower of Babel blew it. Ten generations later, Abraham's, Abraham's generation was right back to the flood generation. Just that God promised no more floods. Abraham's generation would for sure have had a flood. Except they, God promised. And so, hence, and then comes this breeding experiment of like, Abraham, send Yishmael that way. Isaac, send Asaph that way. Jacob, and then, and then there would be transgenerational slavery, ten plagues, lots of miracles, freak out across the sea. And then finally the THX surround sound, Omnimax, 3D, LSD, Sinai experience. To blast this one nation called the Jews who would become that beacon, that moral beacon. The, meaning every person's born with a compass. What is right and what is wrong is quite arbitrary based on the society. But Sinai will become the beacon. And that beacon taught about, for example, the soul being holy and worthy, no matter what the shape of the body is, male, female, Jew, Gentile, black man, Chinese, uh, deformed, autistic. It doesn't matter. It's got a soul. And since it has a soul, 
it's worthy and it will bring out the best in our society by caring for those people. And, and it, but people with other moral compasses. You know. But our main point is that the next world comes with tremendous consequence, tremendous. And, it's, and thank God the choices you make Sorry, this will only be good for U.S. citizens. But the choices you make, maybe even Canadians. Any Canadians here? The choices you make at least are on a a number two pencil Scantron sheet. Do they have Scantron sheets in Canada? Yeah? Uh, Europeans don't have. Anyway, number two pencil Scantron sheet. Remember Scantron sheets? You know what Scantron sheets are? It it saved money in, in the U.S. and Canada, apparently. Um, when you answer the exam, you know, a multiple guess, I know it's multiple choice, but I called it multiple guess. Um, in the multiple guess exam, the, um, you hand it in and then it goes into a computer and it grades it. So people don't have to grade exams. You know, you can just, it works off the lead. Number two pencils have lead in them. And the machine reads the lead. Anyway, we're all making choices, but we're, we have this long number two pencil Scantron sheet. It's really long. It's your whole life's choices. Every choice you make is coming out on that thing. And then when you die, may you all be blessed to live a long life, but when you die, you that sheet just goes into the machine. And, well, how's that machine read it? Because every person's got a different test, right? Your test's not her test, and her test's not his test. And we all have different tests. So it turns out that the machine has the optimal choice for every choice you've ever made, meaning whenever you make a choice, it's only based on you. It's totally subjective. Based on my moral compass. Yeah, yours. Okay. Based on yours. And uh, not so much your moral compass. It may be based actually on an empirical moral compass, but you are not the master of that moral compass, meaning you're not some great scholar that knew it. The best you can do. Is the best you can do. So you, in every situation, are in these choice modes, and you know that sense of being drawn, like between... You know, as my father-in-law, who's not a big fan of Judaism, my father-in-law says that, he said, son-in-law, this is the way he speaks, he's very stoic, son-in-law, I found that when you have a choice, the harder one is usually the right one. <laughs> that's what he said to me. I said, that's a very Jewish statement. Dad. Dad. <laughs> now, Thank God it's a number two pencil Scantron sheet. Why? Because what's on the other side of a number two pencil Scantron sheet? Sorry, number. what's on the other side of a number two pencil? An eraser. An eraser. So you don't have to, you've you got to be an idiot to die <laughs> without having reviewed your past, without having to review, you know, you don't just hand in the sheet. Okay, I, I, I imagine some of you have been in some high-stake exams with your Scantron sheet. And you don't just hand it in. You go over it again. Just take a look. Take a look. What, what are you handing in? And if you blew it, if you saw, oh, you know what? I got that question totally wrong. I must have been reading the one above it. I don't know how I did that. I put C when the answer is for sure B. Well, you got, a, you got an eraser. Go back and deal with it. And that's God's given us the option in our lives, to go back and deal with stuff. Nothing's a done deal. There's no done deals. Meaning the impact it had, that's a done deal. Meaning if it affected all kinds of people and now it's caused all kinds of other domino effects and reverberations and negativities. 
God should protect you from all that. But but you at least can clean up your tracks. Like you can go back and get that number two eraser, and it hurts. I don't think it hurts as much as it does upstairs to hand it in wrong. I think it hurts less. I don't know what hurts up there. I don't know what it means to hurt when you have no more body. I don't know what pain is upstairs because there's no body. All I know about pain is maybe physical pain. I know something about emotional pain. but uh, So I guess maybe emotional pain goes on. I don't know. But apparently it's a lot easier to take your number two pencil and go back and deal with stuff in your life and clean up your life. And how do you know you cleaned up your life? Because have you guys ever noticed that God has a funny sense of humor of completely recreating scenarios for you where you got the choice again? You got back to the choice? You ever notice that? He recre- God's great at scenarios. Like He can create scenarios where so many variables all came together again for you to, figure some- for you to make a good choice. He does it. I've noticed he does it for another thing too, and that is when you judge other people. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you're judgmental, you know, you're kind of looking at someone going like, you're just kind of saying in the back of your mind, what an idiot. And so whenever you say what an idiot, God has a funny sense of humor about that too. What he does is he creates the perfect scenario where you do the same exact thing. And then you catch yourself afterwards going like, oh my gosh. Like, for example, I've seen people pray. I I found the fastest you can say those words, like if you're in an emergency and you've got to say the words quickly of the prayers you're talking about, if you've got to say those really quickly. So... I found the fastest you can say it is a little under three minutes. But I've seen a guy do it in one and a half, which means he's skipping. He's for sure skipping words. And he's certainly, no one's concentrating on all those words. But I saw a guy literally, I was at the hotel. He went like this. He went like, he went in, he did this for a little while. And then he just walked out like a minute and a half later. And not possible that he got it all done. So, of course, I get, you know when we say that about someone, we're like, what an idiot. So I did my what an idiot. Instead of me concentrating on my prayers, I should have been in my prayers. But I just instead just took a little break from my prayers to say what an idiot in my mind. And then went back to my prayers. And, of course, took extra long just to make up for him. Anyway, but uh, it wasn't more than two months later, I did a one and a half minute prayer service. Because I had to catch a bus. And the bus was leaving. It was parked there. Like, it came. I thought I had more time. It came. People were loading strollers, thank God. And, like, so strollers were going under the bus, and that was the last bus. So there I was with my minute and a half prayer service. I don't know what happened to those words. But somehow they probably didn't get said. And I got on that bus, and I'm sitting there, and sitting there kind of giggling, going, God has a great sense of humor. And you know what it is? Is It says that never judge someone until you're... Never judge someone until you're in their shoes. And you know what the punishment is for judging someone? You're going to be in their shoes. You'll be in their shoes. There's something will happen where God will orchestrate it that you'll be in their shoes. And so you've got to be very careful because some of us judge people in situations that we really would never want to be in. Really not want to be in. And they made bad decisions that left them in kind of devastated. And we judge them and find ourselves in that same broken place. So we've got to be really careful. Meaning, meaning I got off easy that it was a minute and a half service. But we've judged people who are in some pretty hard, tough spots, saying like, for example, uh, someone who's unemployed or someone who's on the streets or someone who's using drugs or someone who's, you know, we've, we've passed some judgment on that without the compassion that Judaism requires for us. So back to the tough love, believe it or not, we're still on your mom, is that, is that 
if you let's just say she didn't want you to keep Shabbos, some Shabbos, you know, you're back in whatever city you're from, and and she's like, just please, there's a family event, you know, and we got to drive there. There's no other way, and I just, it's so important to me. Please just don't keep this one Shabbos. So what happens is, by the way, it works on the window too. I'm hyper aware if you want to do the window. It's up to you. I'd... I always like to say hi. <laughs> Either way is fine. Anyway, the um... that's my hair splitting Chabruso. Um He warns me when it's getting late. Um... Mom said don't keep showers. Yeah. So now let's say you keep it anyway, and you make her, you humiliate her ultimately, because she had to show up without you at this event, and, and they were like, oh, what did he do, keep the Sabbath? You know, her Russian relatives, and she's like, I prefer not to discuss it, you know, or whatever. So, so you know, you humiliate her by, not, by keeping the sh- Sabbath. But what happened was, when she gets upstairs with her Scantron sheet, she's busted for all kinds of stuff, but there's not an additional issue. You understand? You're not, they're not this... Yes. She doesn't have that extra issue. And you saved her from that issue. So I'm just going to finish with a story. I've told it before, so I'm sorry anyone watching this live or whatever. I apologize if you've heard it. Is that, you ready for this? And I still didn't get to your prayer stuff, which I don't mind doing tomorrow, perhaps. Are you around a little bit? Or is, yeah. So I, because I, I have a lot to say on that. A lot. And I've, I've made, I mean, I hate to say these words, but I have, I've traveled far healing my first experiences with it far to the point where I now teach prayer to people so anyway the um, my parents are thrashing me for being in yeshiva but it's bad and that was before email and all that this was faxes we're getting faxes vitrolic is that the word is anyone older than 50 here that knows the word vitrolic Vitrolic, it's called. Angry, Angry vitrolic faxes. The, to the point where the staff at Asia Tour, which had already been around for I don't even know how long at the time, maybe 18 years, 15, 20 years, said that they'd never seen such angry faxes from a parent about someone being in yeshiva, meaning it was a world record. I mean, this was like burning surfboards. You know, like, we will burn your surfboards. And, there, and that's going below the belt for me. You know, my surfboards. I mean, I've, I've sacrificed my own skin while skateboarding to the beach in a wipeout to not let my board get, you know, touch the earth. And, and you know, you don't talk, don't bring my surfboards into this, okay? So, and I got, you know, about nine of them, you know, and they're, they're, not, they're not part of the discussion. So, yeah, they did. Oh, my parents weren't, wouldn't go that far. I mean, during high school, at one point, my father did take away my board when they found uh, six, 42 forgeries of missed class. For, uh, the way, it was an El Nino year. El Nino's a, El Nino's a climatic cycle. So he took one of my boards, my favorite board, you know, the one in the main board bag for daily surfing. He took my main board, put it in his office downtown L.A., and just, like, it sat in his office. Of course, it didn't sit there for more than probably about four hours because I took one of my oldest boards that was filled with holes, put it inside the board bag, 
and got my board back within four hours. So he, he just was like, he would, after about a month, he's like, okay, you can have your board back. And I'm like, thank you. You know, you know I was just such a tricker. Like, like you couldn't get anything with, get away with anything with me. So anyway, but my, anyway, I'm getting these horrible emails and sorry, faxes and get, get this, get this, uh, Jesse, I finally give in and I'm leaving Yeshiva. That's it. So I'm sitting down in the study hall and one of the rabbis comes over and says, Yom Tov, how's it going? And I said, it's going fine, but, uh, I can't take it anymore. This is the guy who was helping me with the faxes, like helping me deal with getting attacked. I was really getting attacked by the people most important to me. So I said, I'm, I'm going to, um, I, I got to, I just got to go back. I can't, I can't do this. It's too much. I got to go back to their, their lifestyle, their ways. I mean, I'm killing, I'm killing my father. And, uh, he said to me that if your parents had any idea what you, what they gain from you being here and studying Torah, not in, in this world and the next, these were his words. If your parents had any idea what they would gain in this world and the next by you studying Torah here, they would chain you to this table. And the only reason you're getting those facts is because they don't get something. Which is, I know it's hard for us to believe our parents, like, don't get something. Because they're our parents, you know. Aren't they God? You know, like, don't parents get it? You know, but the truth is, is you do pass up your parents at some point. Uh, especially, you know, depending on their backgrounds. Ethnic backgrounds and stuff. And, you know, you could pass them quite quickly, depending where they're from. So... Anyway, long story short, is I stayed, based on those words. That guy has tremendous reward, by the way, because I was really going to leave. I mean, I was, I was calling a travel agent that day to leave. And, but he said they'd chain me to a table if they knew. So I said, that's it, I'm chaining myself to a table, and I studied for years. Long story short is for the next 20 years, next 20 years of my life, I always knew that I was helping them in the next world for the Scantron sheet. But one thing I never understood was, why did he say this world? Because they're just suffering. They're suffering. Like, what do you mean by this world? So it turns out that 20 years after that conversation, my parents were visiting at Israel, and I have eight kids, and they were at our Shabbos, still being waited on hand and foot, and hearing the chorus of Shalom Aleichem. When my parents, don't have, all their friends, don't have nachas from their kids. Meaning, I was at my mother's 70th birthday. There were 200 Jewish people there, her friends at that age. I was at her 70th birthday, 200 Jewish people there. And we went over the list afterwards. Well, you know, the after party where you're hanging out. We're hanging out. I flew in for this. We're hanging out after. And she's, I said, are there any Jewish grandchildren of those guests that were here? <laughs> she took out her list, went down the list. Nobody. Not one person had a Jewish grandchild. So then I started understanding this world and the next. But, the, but I really started understanding this world when my parents went, came back to L.A. <laughs> from a trip visiting my kids and me. And I asked them, so, how, you know, how is it settling back in? They said the hardest part of settling back in is we can't speak about what Israel's like to any of our friends because we don't want to rub it in their faces that we're the only ones getting any nachas in this world. And you gave it to us. And we want to thank you. And not only that, they said, we want to apologize for all the hell we put you through. Because in the end, you gave us our senior years. Our senior years are rich because of you. And you had the foresight to do that for us. And we didn't get it then. We just didn't get it. Now we get it. And we may not be very into it. 
into your lifestyle, but you gave us our nachas for these years. Thank you. And only then, 20 years after that rabbi told me they would chain me to the table, did I understand why he said this world. So, ladies and gentlemen, make good choices. Even if it means that you're really looking at your parents' endgame, meaning you're looking at their latter years of their life. Whatever your parents say, whatever they comment, that's great. They're wonderful. You can honor them as best as you can. But in the end, honor them on the long term, not just with you know whatever they think is uh, some value that really isn't a, a eternal Torah value. Make sure you honor them with the Torah values. Okay, just go ahead. Thank you. Okay. And we'll do prayer. T- please, God, tomorrow. But you got to remind me because I, I come in kind of in a different world each time. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.